know some of you are thinking right now is, okay, we just had church, Pastor, we can go home. That is inaccurate. We did have church, but you can't go home. I'll tell you what, I'm looking here. Hey, Omar, I am, something may have gotten unplugged, or Corbin, if you could check that out for me. It looks like the maybe over there. Uh, we've got a little uh, drawing. I know you all love my drawings, mainly because they remind you of how you drew when you were 12. And so I do my best to encourage you and uh, make sure that's working. Let's see here. Oh, right here. Oh. There we got it. Let's see if that works. All right. Omar, I'm going to let you mess with this for just a moment. Is that okay? Good. If you have your Bible, we're going to be all over the New Testament. Are you okay, okay with that? Good. If you would have said no, it wouldn't have bothered me. would have still done it anyway. Um, we're going to be hanging out in a few, few different passages, but just some starting points. Matthew chapter 8, it just flickered. Thank you, guys. Matthew chapter 8, and then also we'll be in uh, Revelation 22. Kind of those are the biggest chunks of today are those two passages of Scripture. Um, we are finishing up our Family Values series, and that series, what we're talking about is what we believe. We started this um, back at the end of May, and we've run it through the whole summer so that we could know what we believe about core things in our church. And they end to this pinnacle. They lead to this point that we're talking about today with the reality of heaven and hell. In a few weeks, not right now, we're going to take a break and just kind of have a, a series focused on, remember, we're not alone, uh, even at home. And we're going to be looking through scriptural examples of, of how to encourage and lead our families, how to uh, be a, a faithful spouse, partner, coworker, things like that. So we're going to be looking at those things. Uh, but today, I just want to hit... Um, kind of this main picture of heaven uh, and hell and why we believe in the reality of heaven and hell and as as real places we'll talk through that today you would think that um, was a, a known fact but as you're thinking through this last week I kind of drew a timeline um, and I told you it looked like that um, because I really believe since creation, the Lord has been building us towards a certain day. And today, what we're really talking about, if I were drawing a timeline for you and I, I would say our final state is when the timeline flattens out. It's not building towards anything else anymore because this is it, boys and girls. This is what we live for. As I've been reading and studying about heaven, I, I've just really been convicted that more than anything else, it was the joy that set before Jesus that he endured the cross. What do you think the joy was? heaven it was his final state the accomplishing the mission to where we could be and so as vital as the cross is the resurrection and, and heaven is vital to our belief in fact i would say if there is no resurrection is there is no heaven then you and i are just becoming decent moral people that most of the world doesn't agree with like that's basically what we're doing and so as we pull into that, you've got a sheet of paper that you can take notes on this week. It's got a statement, what we believe about heaven and hell. This is the same statement uh, about end times we've had for three weeks. But if there are questions starting towards the end of October, when we get into our series on heaven, just questions that you have gone through your mind about heaven. If you would like to write that in a space, or if you use this for notes, write it on a piece of paper, and you can drop it in one of the offering um, plates. I think these must be just outside the door. It's always scary when a pastor can't see the offering plate. Amen? Like, 
I just had a heart attack just for a moment. But they're right outside the door here. There's one straight ahead in the back uh, for pastoral encouragement. I think that's why that one's inside uh, back there. But you can drop that question in. And uh, as, as we walk through that series, if there's a way to uh, answer that question biblically, I'm in. If there's a way to answer it unbiblically, we can talk about those things outside of pulpit time but would love uh, to do that. I've had questions uh, my whole life, and I think even when I get to eternity, I'm going to have a lot of questions. But as we start thinking about this, um, this conversation today matters on a lot of reasons, matters for a lot of ways. Uh, If you didn't hear this week, um, the life expectancy in America dropped by three years per individual since 2019. So in 2019, the life expectancy of the average American person was 78.8 years. All right, some of you are like, well, I'm stealing from a younger kid right now. That's fine. God gave it to you, right? But check this out. As of this year, it has gone down to 76.1. That is how death is rising uh, in, in, in our country. And so therefore, the closer you get to the average, you should be mindful about what happens after death. Is this all there is? This is part of that question. And so as we look at this reminder that what happens after we breathe our last breath here, I want to walk you through a few stats, and I'll have some images on the screen to kind of walk with you through. My oldest stat is from 2003. In 2003, 71% of America believed in hell, and half of 1% uh, thought that they would be the ones to go there. All right, that was 71% of Americans believed in hell. Half of 1% believed they would go there. Now, this study came down last year in 2021. This is more Americans believe in heaven and hell. Pew did a research recently, and this is the Christian area groups and what they believe that out of Christians, um, 92% of Christians believe that heaven is real. They believe that it's there. And 79% believe that hell is real. You can kind of see U.S. adults in America, non-believers, of believers of all sorts, 73, 62. But you'll also see some very interesting trends in there um, because what you'll start to look at when we start breaking it down more and more individually, evangelical, um, we would be in that group. Um, but, but you'll start to see churches that consider themselves Christian, there's actually a pretty rapid decline in the belief of hell at all. And there is a, a flattening out and a slight decline in the belief of heaven. Um, what's pretty interesting also is to start seeing through this. Just, Lord, where do I fit in? How am I sharing the good news about what's going on? So this was pretty interesting to me. Let's go to the next slide here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, young adults are more likely to believe in reincarnation. Now check this out. This is the percentage of adults who believe in reincarnation. This is, this is all adults. Um, 30% of Christians believe in reincarnation. Now, we just saw, how does that jive with that other number? Well, that's part of the, the problem that's going on right now. And you kind of see through that, um, we, we just see this amazingly interesting background that doesn't jive together with it. We'll go to the next slide here I want you to see. Again, this is all Pew Research. You can go online and check it all out. Uh, many Christians say non-Christian religions can lead them to heaven. Um, out of all Christians, 58% believe uh, many religions can lead them to eternal life. Um, you can see only Christian religions can lead to eternal heaven. Is it 13% believe that? 
uh, and then some non-Christian religions can lead to eternal life, and then uh, you can kind of go through that. Um, this should be a little shocking. Um, if it's not that you're actually in the majority almost all the way around except for the evangelical church. Um, what, <clears throat> what's interesting to, to this question, I, and I kind of went through some of the ways, the questions that were asked, and I do feel like there may be some places where confusion came in or didn't come in. But in the biggest picture of it all, what we start to see is we don't talk about heaven like scripture wants us or calls us to and so therefore we don't know much about it uh, we know about the cross and that's vitally important but but all of it is one it's it's inseparable and so I started to think how in the world can 30% of Christians believe in reincarnation um, which is an eastern religion uh, reincarnation as an eastern religion is you you just keep coming back until you get it right and once you get it right, you stop coming back because this body is a constraint to you and you just become part of what um, Star Wars would call the force is a horrible way to say it, but you just become a, a part of that nothingness. You lose your identity completely. Um, so how can that mix with this? And so I, I thought, I, I think I know how because we've started to maybe allow secularism to come in. And so if you're a kiddo in the room, I really want your help in this, but parents, you can play along too, adults. When you think of heaven, who thinks of someone wearing a toga? Anybody ever picture heaven think, I picture a toga? Okay. Any of you say, when I think of heaven, an image that would come to mind immediately is clouds, like clouds are there like do we play football on the clouds how does that work yep how about harps anybody harps come in these are these are all childhood images for me in fact i found a newspaper cartoon about this recently can we put that image up here yeah i miss stress like it, this is heaven it's it's two guys with halos you know there's one dude on the distance cloud at least they're close enough to complain together uh in doing that it's just this is really what heaven is pictured like. So can I go to the more interesting place and check it out, you know, see how it works? Um, we've really allowed an ignorance, I, I believe, and I'm, I'm with, with all of us here, to come in about heaven that's allowed us to be led astray by cartoons and then allowed the way for a worldly intellect to come and tell us how our belief can't be true. We, we would idolize someone like a Stephen Hawking that has to have an impossible number that he already, before he died, confessed was an impossible imaginary number to make his equation that the universe could happen without God. Like he, he has equation, as long as you believe in an impossible imaginary number that hasn't existed, has never existed, and probably will never exist, then you can get to creation without God. That, that was basically what his theory came down to. When we, when we look at today, New York Times bestseller, uh, Princeton, Princeton religion uh, professor, um, speaker on many mainline church uh, conferences and things like that, um, this gentleman is an agnostic atheist. Um, and what he says is this, is you don't have to believe heaven and hell are real places if, one, you believe that Jesus was a failure. 
right? Jesus thought that the Lord was returning soon, and the Lord did not return as soon as anticipated, therefore he's a failure. You do not have to believe in heaven or hell if you believe that Paul and Jesus lived and worked in different religions, that Paul's words are so different than Christ, they constitute different religions, therefore you don't have to believe in heaven or hell. You don't have to believe in heaven or hell if you don't believe the words of Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John that are attributed to Jesus were actually spoken by Jesus. If you believe someone later on who followed Paul but not Jesus put those words in to help Jesus support their religion. In other words, if you do not believe that the Gospels are infallible in all truth, you do not have to believe in heaven or hell if you only look at the Old Testament before the Davidic kingdom fell because the thought of eternity in heaven or suffering started with the prophets in the Old Testament. So basically, what people who claim Christ are buying into is, as long as you're intelligent enough not to believe anything about Scripture is completely reliable, then you can get away from the reality of heaven or hell. And so we have this annihilism and these different things that are coming up in our, in our world. And I say all of that because, church, this is the belief that's growing. And I think maybe we are so turned off by a secular picture of heaven, two dudes in white robes sitting on a cloud talking about how boring it is to do this forever, that we have made room for the folly of man to create in us possibilities. Um, church, my job is not to argue against an unscriptural, unfounded, rid ridiculous, when you come down to it, belief. But we're just going to lean into Scripture today. So if that's all right with you, we're just going to walk through what does Scripture say awaits you, I, and every individual when we die? Is it fair? Is it right? Can a good God actually do this to people? All right? So that's what we're going to be looking through today. The first thing is, are they physical places according to Scripture? And be quite honest, I had to like really get out uh, a lot of things out of the way so that we could get to this. Um, I'm going to start uh, with hell as a real place, as a place where someone who has not been redeemed by a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, what Scripture says about that. Now, I tend to believe these words are given by Jesus Christ um, because I believe the, the authority of Scripture. But let me give you context. Verse 11 and 12 will show up on the screen in a minute, but I want to read verse 5 to give you context further down. The Bible says this. When he uh, entered to Capernaum, that's Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at some at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and I will heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only to you say the word, for my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority uh, with soldiers underneath me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, I tell you the truth, no one in Israel I found so much faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham Isaac in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and I want you to know five times in the book of Matthew directly, 
the Lord talks about Jesus Christ, that heaven, that hell is a place that people are sent to. In, in scripture, we've been walking through the last couple of weeks about judgment and, and different areas about this reality that, that the 10 virgins, when they came, they were locked out. The ones who weren't ready, they were on the outside, not the inside. The parable of the talents, the wicked servant, it talks about him being thrown into, put out of church over and over throughout the words of scripture. It's hard to get away from the reality in the words of Christ, in the words of spirit-led authors throughout uh, the New Testament, especially that hell is a place. And, and I'm going to stop there and we'll unpack it a little bit further. But one, we believe in the reality, the physical existence of heaven and hell hell there spiritually um you might say well what if hell's not real couldn't death just mean annihilated um if you're looking at the conversation that jesus has and he says something when he's being betrayed matthew 26 verse 24 he says the son of man goes it is written of him but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed it would have been better if that man had not been born now just common logic would make us think this Annihilation. If I live my life and I go through some hard times and I die and I cease to exist, that's not, that's not a state worse than being born. If annihilation is the end, that's just nothing. So Jesus in his own words is saying, listen, to the one Judas, to the one who betrays me, it, it would be better that he not existed. That actually is the, would be better for him than what is really his future, what is really his final state. And so when we look at the words of Christ, we see, number one, that hell is a place. And we weave that through. Now listen, go into verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to look at this, and we'll also look at John 14, 3, if you want these passages of scriptures. When Jesus, or when scripture talks about heaven. First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says it this way. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now I want you to, to know that the scripture here points to something very clearly. That you and I, when we die, we go to a house, a place that is prepared for us. And you might say, well, pastor, that's Paul. That's not Jesus. Well, actually, what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 3, is it this way. And I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So, so Christ, then parroted by Paul in 2 Corinthians, tells us this, that when those whom Christ has prepared a place for, whom have been redeemed, accepted, saved by Jesus Christ, when they die, they don't just become a part of a greater universe. They don't just come back. If we have reincarnation in this life as what it is, then Jesus is a liar because what he says here really clearly is, I am going somewhere that you are not to prepare a real place for you and I will return to you and you who are mine, I will take you with me. He doesn't say, I'm going to let you keep trying to get it right until you get there. 
And so when we talk about what do we believe as, as Christians about the reality of the physical existence of heaven and hell, we can only say we believe what Jesus says. Um, C.S. Lewis is a familiar author to many, and, and he was asked one time about it. And then C.S. Lewis, just so you know, is not any more perfect than, than me or you or anyone else. But it doesn't mean he didn't spend a ton of time in the Word. And he said, man, there, there is, when asked a question, there is no greater doctrine I would like not to believe in than the physical existence of hell. But it's simply inarguable. If you just asked me, sure, I would love to tell you, I wish it wasn't a place, but Scripture is too clear. Church, that there is a physical place prepared for those who have been redeemed by Christ, and there is a physical place where those who have rejected Jesus Christ will dwell. So one, we believe in a physical heaven and a physical hell. The second thing we believe in, in that, is not just the destination, but um, in the sense that you and I um, will be there as people. Um, it, it's not where we transform and just inhabit a spiritual place, but that, that we are there. And not only are we there, but there's certain people that are there and certain that are not there. Um, look with me in Revelations uh, 21, verse 1 through uh, 8 is what I've got. Verse 21, verse 1 through 8. Again, this is John, not Paul, writing about heaven and hell. He said, there I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people." And God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall say no more, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated at the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he gave it to me and said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, the idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see, when we talk about heaven and, and hell, they're destinations for people. Um, why this matters and, and what Jesus says, it matters in how we see time. When we think about right now, again, uh, at the beginning of the summer, we talked about this. Um, this is the earth. I'm not going to try and draw it. I'll just put an E there. Everybody's good with me? Right? That's the earth. Um, and this, remember the Jewish early creation, we have the firmament. Uh, of the earth that separated the earth and the heavens uh, in this and then we have this dwelling place of God and down here you had what would be a Sheol or what we would refer to as hell if anyone ever tells you the word hell is not in scripture they're correct King James Bible interpreted the word Hades into hell it's just a modern word that means the exact same thing so 
So when we say that hell is in Scripture, we would look at uh, Hades or we would say Sheol or uh, other words that are used. It's just our limited English. But, but here's what Scripture says, is that there will be a day when this heaven and this earth pass away, all of our stars, all of this world. And in this time, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now that's the earth. It's not round anymore. It's oval for space reasons. I have no idea how it'll be shaped, but I have a feeling it'll be shaped very similar to our earth now. But what it says is that there is no sea. And, and, and I will tell you, as I read this and, and studied through this and looked at it, I just thought the sea in every um, illustration as we look in scripture is used as separation. The waters separated them. We, we can go to the Old Testament, the New Testament, we see that. When we look at the context of a Jewish mindset, the firmament kind of separated the heavens and the earth. It, at the very minimum, we can believe that when there is a new heaven and a new earth, that there will be no separation between the redeemed people of God and God himself. Why do I say that? Well, that's what Revelation chapter 21 says, verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Right? I would tell you, I, like, listen, these are my friends. They live in the Pearland and surrounding areas. That doesn't mean you have to live in my house. Amen? Like, you follow that? there's a difference we're dwelling together even if we're like not right on top of each other but what scripture tends to point to pretty clearly is that any separation between God's abode the dwelling of God and man is no more and so when you and I use the word heaven what we mean is the new heaven and the new earth that's what we tend to think of and if anyone ever tries to say, oh, I gotcha, where do you think you're going to live for all eternity? And you say heaven, they're like, wrong, the new earth. You just smile, give them a sweetest fish and walk away. Like, don't argue. Because in general, this is what we mean. And that's all right to know that. Right? And now, now this day is coming. And we'll talk about what happens from when we die to here. Because you and I would also use the word in heaven uh, for this time as well before the new earth and the new heaven come why would we use the term heaven for this season and this season in our life why would we do it here's why because scripture very clearly talks about heaven being a place for God's people in the presence of Christ so, so that's what we, we have to have that picture in our mind is that heaven, based on that relationship with Jesus Christ, that even before the new earth comes, before all of this passes away, when you and I die, that we are present with the Lord. Today you'll be with me in paradise, he says to the thief on the, thief on the cross. See, heaven is about being in that presence of the uh, resurrected Jesus Christ, the reigning Lord. And we'll, we'll unpack that later on. But church, it is a place for a people. See, when we read the totality of Scripture, if you are not part of the people of God, then you reside where people who are not of the people dwell. And Scripture says something pretty, pretty clearly as well. And again, this is our general term, hell, that we use here. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, if you have your Bible. 
But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake of, that burns with fire, the soul for which is a second death. death. Um, if you were to go through the New Testament, you could look at the words of Paul, where, where Paul says, who are not of the people of God, who will not inherit the kingdom, the people who embrace uh, drunkenness, greediness, um, sexual immorality, homosexuality, and it just... The scripture lists people who embrace that, who practice it, which means owns it as who they are, like God, take me or leave me. God says, I'll leave you. Have a very nice day. You're not of my people. I mean, we have liars in here. It says, listen, the person who says, I love the Lord but hates his brother, that person's a liar. If you hold on to hate and bitterness in your heart, you are a liar per the words of scripture. So we really need to not be insincere or shallow in this. Because God says, first of all, there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And they are, one, reserved for the people who are in relationship with Christ and those who are not um, in relationship with Christ. And the problem is we start thinking this only works with a proper view of hell. And that's why talking about heaven and hell is really important. Because if we don't understand that God is just, then we can start saying, well, Lord, I, it's hard for me to believe that a good God would make an eternal place of dwelling that is described to or we think of as hell. That's hard for me to believe. In fact, some people would say, I can't believe in a God like that. Well, let's just walk through Scripture. And if you'll do me a favor, if you'll put away the pitchfork picture of the enemy um, and and the Greek mythology swirling fire where souls just run and moan and are kind of unaware and let's just lean into scripture for just a moment uh, Matthew chapter 22 verse 1 through 14 we get a picture uh, of a wedding feast uh, and this picture of a, of a wedding feast let's see if we can start this it matters because it talks about grace and it talks about justice. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ says. And Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is to be compared with a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to come to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Well, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they who paid no attention went off to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants. And he treated them shamefully and killed them. And the king was angry and he sent troops and he destroyed those murderers and he burned the cities. Then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited weren't worthy. Go into the main roads, invite them to the wedding feast, as many as you can find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all they could find, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to them, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He said, then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. There's a picture here that you and I can't get away from, and that is this. 
is that what the Lord calls this dwelling with him for eternity, heaven, our, our kingdom here, he likens in his best imagery that we can fathom to a wedding feast. And he says, I have put the party together. I have prepared every detail. In fact, I have even sent the invitation and provided garments for you to wear so that there will be no excuse wherever you've been, no matter what you've done. I'm inviting you. Church, in this picture, we see that some who were chosen ignored the invitation and they received what was just for rejecting it. And then we get this very interesting image that these good and bad were all invited in. And, it, and the picture is this, of the parable of Christ, that as the, the king looks over, everybody is dressed and delighting in the fruit of the hands of the king. And he is delighting in their presence. They are delighting in his presence. It, it just, it's just the way he wants it. He sees one person who's not dressed accordingly. And he goes over and he says, friend, why aren't you dressed? The reason the man had nothing to say was because, again, I think Scripture's clear that the king provided for him, and he rejected it. See, what the king says is two things. One, I'm putting the invitation out, and to all of those, right, we're going to go to physical place, for all of those, I want you to be where I am. But the people who get to be where I am are mine. And then he says, how do you know if you're my people? Well, you didn't do anything. What you did was come because I sent the invite. You came dressed because I gave you something to wear. And you ate because I provided the meal, entertainment, and everything you all you do is submit yourself to receive what my people get when they find their full delight in me and church this is probably one of the best images of eternity that you see in scripture it's a real place where the people of god come because they were invited clothed and, and gave, given everything by the kingdom to live in his delight forever that's actually not justice that's grace but the story has a different track to it in this in this track we have this picture of those who say okay well then hell seems unjust well, if heaven is a physical place for those who say we're God's people and, and they are draped in his full provision, then hell is a physical place for people who said no thank you. And instead... They enjoy, and I'm going to put that in quotations, what their personal fruit is forever. And here's what I mean. 
When scripture talks about hell, it's a place where people are weeping and gnashing their teeth. Number one, that means that in hell, people are cognizant. They're aware of what's going on. When it says weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's a W. I won't do the G because I don't have my finger here. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not only is that pain, parents, have you ever had your child get so angry at you all they could do was weep and grit their teeth so hard? Like you could see you could see the venom spew in their anger. If you haven't ever been there, you probably will have a day like that. Because that's what total disdain looks like. That's what, that's what total, total blame looks like. God, you gave me what I asked for. I told you I didn't want your presence. I told you I just wanted what I knew would be good for me. And you gave it to me. And you're giving it to me so eternally that the filth and the wretchedness that you told me it would always be is my experience for all eternity. When we look at Scripture... When the people asked for a king, he said, you don't want a king. They're going to do all these things. We want a king. Guess what the king did? All those things made their life miserable. In Numbers chapter 11, we studied this with the men this week in our Bible study. Numbers chapter 11, you know what? Slavery was better than freedom. So we just want to eat. Just let us eat. Let us have the good knife. Let us serve our cravings. For one month, not for eternity, God gave them a taste. For one month, God made quail fall all over the camp, three feet deep. Can you imagine two miles around the camp, three feet deep? And it says that they ate so much and so often they so served their cravings that that the quail came out of their nose, got stuck in their teeth, their disease embraced them, and they wouldn't stop eating because their cravings were their God. And for one month, they started to see, God gave us a picture of how an image bearer starts losing his image and starts reflecting his craving. Can you imagine, not some fictitious place with a pitchfork and a lake of fire that doesn't do anything, but for all eternity... Living outside of the grace of God in the full rejection of where sin leaves and sin without God's protection, without God's grace for all eternity leads you exactly where God said it would lead. And I think what scripture says is that for all eternity, those people are so angry at God for not making it better. Church, there's no other place that I would like to say, hey, there's, there's, Scripture says differently. But Scripture is clear that heaven and hell are real places. One is made for the people who accept Jesus Christ and are clothed in his drapery. And one is for those who accept reject him and they get the fullness of that rejection for all eternity there's not many ways there's just one 
Um, Romans 6.23, is it up on the screen? Can, do we have that one back there? Let's see if it comes up on the screen. Romans 6.23 says something amazing about grace and justice in heaven and hell. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you've never had an opportunity to know what it looks like, what scripture says is this, is that you and I have been separated from God and it's just. And what Paul writes is this, is that you and I have earned this wage. Now, now here's an amazing thing about a wage. It's, it's not something that you come by accidentally. No one, you don't walk randomly into McDonald's and they're like, hey, Steve, here's your paycheck. If someone randomly hands you a paycheck, that's something's wrong, right? Like, how do they get my social security number? I didn't earn this. What's going on? You don't randomly earn a paycheck. What scripture says is every single person on the faith of the earth has been busy your entire life putting deposits and God is just and he will give you what you have earned on your own. He's not, he's not ferociously judging you. He's just saying that you have earned a wage and that wage is sin. That's how you've been doing it. You have followed your own heart. You have rejected God. You have let your cravings be your guide. You, you have tried to, to fix the world in your image and not mine. You've been trying to X, Y, or Z, no matter how good it is. Look at your life. You are do something. And God is just. He can't not be just, just like he cannot be love, and he cannot be good. He has to be all. And he says, here's what your wage has earned you, death. And death, church, is separation from God for all eternity. Right now, we live in a place before the new heaven, before the new earth, before the final judgment, where God gives grace to the just and the unjust. Have you noticed God has rained on your angry neighbor just like he's rained on your house? Amen? Right? God has, has given opportunity to see his grace to people who don't deserve it. But, but I want you to know that the wage that we are earning day in and day out, we are making deposits and God is saying, I'm just letting you know that's the testimony against you that what a just God ought to give you is death. And that death is a physical reality where you will taste your wage for all eternity. He says this, but, it's one of my favorite words in scripture, it just means turn the other way. He says, but God has a free gift. Now, you walk into McDonald's, I'm gonna change it to Chick-fil-A because I feel like that's supposed to be more holy. Not really. Not, if you work at McDonald's, we can eat there too. If you walk into Chick-fil-A and they say, welcome in. We just wanted to give your, you and your family a free 10-year supply of, of uh, number one chicken sandwich meals you'd be like, oh, you're freaking me out. How did you know? No, what would you do? You would, you would put it on Facebook and make all your friends angry, right? You would rub it in there. You would be ecstatic. Why? Because a free gift, we know was attached to the word wage. But a free gift we know has no strings attached. The invitation of the king to those who come enjoy the wedding feast, he just says, come on in. What do we have to do? What's the catch? I mean, you have to come. I mean, you would say, well, if I have to walk into Chick-fil-A to get a 10-year supply of chicken sandwiches, I'm out. 
you're expecting too much. I need you to come over to Torchy's, you know, whatever. No, we know a free gift is good. And God says this free gift replaces the wage. And instead of sin and death, my free gift is life eternal. And what is life eternal? It's, it's being this. It's knowing what is good and perfect forever and ever. What scripture says is this, that every single one, there is none excluded. Every single good gift comes from the Father. That's what scripture says. Every single one. So what he's saying here is that I have a good gift of life that never stops being good. Because what it does is it bridges, it bridges this gap. It makes a way for your wage to be paid for and the gift to find home in your heart. It makes a way for you to be where I am. John chapter 14, verse 3. Jesus' return that we may be where he is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. There is a place made for you to be where he is. Revelations chapter 21, the dwelling place of God with the dwelling place of man. Heaven is not heaven without God. It is not, it's not a place, not a Christian belief unless we are in the physical presence of the Lord. And what Romans tells us is, is that there is only one way and his name is Jesus because it's through Jesus. And through Jesus, it's not just saying I believe because scripture says the demons believe that he's real. But it says, through Jesus, the Christ. I'm going to change colors so that we can see it. Through Jesus, the Christ. The word Christ means Messiah, which means this. You have to believe that he is able to do what the Son of God was supposed to do. That you are the good and the bad on the street. And that he is able to say, I have new clothes for you. I have a feast for you. I have a party for you in my presence. All you have to do is come. But in order to take that invitation, you have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah of Scripture. You have to believe that God raised him from the dead and that in his resurrected self, he has gone to rule and to reign and prepare a place for you and he will come back for you so that where he is there you will be also that you have to believe he is the Christ you can't just believe he existed you can't just love him you have to also believe he is Lord this is the one we get caught up on church it's this spot where we often allow things to completely fall apart because we think I believe Jesus is real I love Jesus but lordship means that you walk in to the wedding feast draped in his clothes not yours there's a submission element here church that says I believe so greatly in Jesus Christ and I am so smitten by the the ability, the reality that I can dwell in his presence and it is not what this worldly garbage has pictured, but that it is delight unending because of him. That in him and through him all things came and are holding together and that will be included for all eternity. You have to say everything everything is yours. 
there's not one part of me that is not. And with David, Lord, if you see any place where wickedness is dwelling, would you pull it out and lead me to the everlasting way? Because you, you can't be a people of God if you have not made him Lord of your life. And if you have loved Jesus and you know that you deserve from a just God separation and you believe that he is able to give it to you and you believe that you have taken that gift but you have not made Jesus Lord, do not be deceived on the day of accountability. If Jesus is not your Lord, then you will not know his lordship for eternity. So in this moment, if the words of this verse are true in your life, then I want you to long for heaven. I, I want to walk with you. I want us to see the pictures and the paintings of scripture. It is what you raise your children for. It is why we speak to our friends about Christ. Church, there will be a day when all things are made new and the real people of God, based on the grace of God, will dwell in a real place with God forever. And where the people who reject God will clothe themselves in their own cravings and eat that fruit forever would you pray with me Father God I am so smitten by you Lord, there's not enough words in my vocabulary to express to you the gratefulness that we have for your grace. So, Father God, I pray right now that things would not distract your people from the reality of why we live and breathe. Because the same joy that was set before Jesus Christ is set before us today. So let us be motivated to no end. And Father God, for those in this room who are not your people, where they haven't said, Lord, all that I am for all that you are. Lord, would this be a day when you let them know the difference between the rags that they have clothed themselves in and the free gift of the wedding garment of life in Christ Jesus as Lord. We love you. In your name we pray, Jesus.